um, welcome this morning. Um, last week we had the privilege of, privilege of hosting or, or having um, Natalie Williams come and speak to us about mercy, the mercy of God and how we are to show mercy. Um, this week um, Rachel and I have a, a privilege of sort of continuing um, with the theme. We're not going to just, just repeat what Natalie said. Um, I think she did it perfectly, so there's no point repeating what she said. Um, but we want to sort of move the envelope a bit and sort of move the needle a little further along if we can. And so I'm going to speak um, first and then Rachel will speak afterwards. And, um, and, and then we have, have an opportunity, hopefully, for us to respond and really allow God to seal what, what he's saying to us over these past couple of weeks. Um, this morning, I want to talk to you guys about hospitality and the theology of hospitality. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, we're going to do this old school. So we're not going to rely on the screen. We're going to, we're going to rely on our ears. And um, so if you have a Bible, um, you can turn to Matthew 25. And if you don't, you can listen. Okay, I'm going to read from Matthew 25, um, from verse 31. Okay. I'll give you guys a few seconds to get there. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as shepherds separate sheep from the goats. And he put the sheep on the right hand and the left and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those at his right, Come that you are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, and gave you food, or thirsty, and gave you something to drink? And when was it that, that we saw you as a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it we saw you sick or in prison and visited, visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, just as you did to one of, these, one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left-hand side, You are accused, you are cursed, depart from me, into an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't welcome me. Naked, and you didn't give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then, I will, then, then they will also answer, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? And he will answer them, Truly I say to you, just as you did not do to, to one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And these will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, this is a famous text, and it's actually quite a spooky, quite a scary text, isn't it? Um, and normally, when we read this text, because it is such a famous text, we tend to get completely bogged down into sheep and goats and fiery furnace and internal life and get into wonderful discussions about the future. And it is there. 
But that's not the key point of the passage. The key point of the passage is hospitality. And you might think, why is Jesus using such strong language to talk about hospitality? Because when we think about hospitality, we tend to think about giving someone a cup of tea. So why is Jesus using such strong language for something like giving someone a cup of tea? Well, the thing is, hospitality is a big thing to God. It's a huge thing to God. In fact, it's a huge thing in the Bible. Hospitality is, is peppered, laced throughout Scripture. It, you, know, you find it in the Old Testament, in the stories. You find it certainly in the prophets. In the Old Testament, you, you find it in Jesus' um, teachings often. And you find it in the apostles' teachings later on. It's something that's just peppered throughout Scripture. It's very important. So let me just give you one example. Okay? We, 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 we're short on time, so I'm going to give you one example of a story in the Bible that, that focuses on hospitality. And, and it might be a surprise to you. Okay, drum roll. Um, it's the story of Solomon and Gomorrah. I know, that's what I thought when I first heard it. Really? What's that got to do with hospitality? Well, in Ezekiel, um, if I pull, I'm now using technology. I want to make sure I read it properly. So in Ezekiel chapter 16, um, verses 49, this is what Ezekiel says. This is the guilt of your, system, Sodom, of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, and did not aid the poor and needy. Wow. That's what tipped God off. They had a hospitality problem. Now, let me explain, this, explain the story to you, okay? For those who perhaps are not familiar or haven't read it for a while. It begins with um, the angels coming to, to Abraham and and the angels are described as the Lord. And Abraham sees them, and he, and he falls down before them, and he, he honors them, he feeds them, he shows them fantastic hospitality. And they, and they, and they tell him they want to go and visit Sodom. And, and so, okay, they want to check him out. And so they go to Sodom, and then Lot's there. Um, Lot's, he's related to Abraham. And, and Lot takes them quickly into his house, because he doesn't want the locals to see them, because he knows what they would do to them. But unfortunately, the locals already have already found out. They've found out about these, these, these angels. And so they go banging on the door, and they demand that he gives over the angels so they can abuse them, um, sexually abuse them, and probably kill them. Now, obviously, the story ends is that that doesn't happen. They escape. The city is destroyed. But a key thing about the story is the contrast. The contrast into the reactions of the people between Abraham, in this case, and Lot. You get this a lot in Genesis. You get this sense of compare and contrast. Um, for example, a classic example would be um, Ishmael and Isaac. So in one chapter, when Ishmael was expelled from, uh, from Abraham's um, camp, it all goes horribly wrong, and, and they're struggling, and it seems like Ishmael is going to die. And just at the last moment, the angel shouts out, don't panic, you know, she shouts out to Hagar, and she looks up, and she sees the well. And he, and he has his salvation. And then the following chapter, God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, and it all looks horrible and bleak, and just at the last moment, God shouts, stop! And Abraham looks up, and he sees the ram in the thicket, and, his, and, and Isaac is also saved. You get these kind of compare and contrast and comparisons. That's a similarity, but in the story of Sodom, there are, there's a contrast. There's a contrast in how people behave and, and you get one hand, you've got this, um, a wonderful hospitality shown by Abraham, and then a complete polarized opposite shown by the people of Solomon and Gomorrah. 
And that's the point Ezekiel is making. Hospitality matters to God. Now, I've been recently reading a book. Um, I can show you the cover of my Kindle. Um, hopefully you can just say it. Yeah, it's called Stranger God, Meeting Jesus in Disguise by one of my favourite writers called Richard Beck. He's a, a Christian writer, but he's also a psychologist. So he's, you know, he, he writes amazing books on this, on this subject. And basically, he begins by saying that you know, hospitality is a, system, it's a systemic problem. It's a, a problem that affects all of society. It affects us in, as individuals. It affects us in the church. It affects us in the world. You know, we have a problem. You know, we, we've got issues, church. You know, we've got issues in the, in the world around hospitality. And, 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 he, and, he, and he paints this, this, this idea of a, of a moral circle. Okay? There's something known as a moral circle. And inside the circle... We have what's known as our kindred, the people we care about. So it could be our family, our spouse, our children, our close friends, our mentors, people we've got good relationships with. These are our kindred. And when we go to, a, say, a house party or we pop to church on Sunday, the first thing we do is we look out for these, these people who fit inside our moral circle or our circle of appreciation. And people who fit inside, we then go over to them and we're kind and we're wonderful to them. And that, in some ways, the fact that we're kind to those people inside the moral circle is not a problem. It's good to be kind to your family, right? It's good to love your friends and your mentors, and that's fantastic. That's not the problem. The problem is the boundary. It's the, it's the boundary. It's the edge of the circle. And the fact that people outside of the circle we tend to treat rather differently. Um, and, and, and in some cases, we can be, we can be quite rude and, quite, and, show, um, and show disdain towards them. And so, what, what, about, what about this boundary? Well, there's two key emotions um, that enforce this boundary. There's two key um, emotions that kind of um, almost fortify this, this, this boundary, this circle, this circle of appreciation. And the first emotion is disgust. Now, um, I thought, did I, did I bring it with me? I'm not sure I brought it with me. Uh, it's my cup next there. Is there a cup there? Nope, that would do. I thought I had my cup. Here it is. Aha. It all makes sense. It'll make sense to you in a second. I'm going to need a volunteer. So let me, um, let me find a volunteer. Um, who, should, who should I pick on? Uh, who's going to be a good sport? Um, Bill, will you be a good sport for me? Good sport. Give Bill, give, give Bill a hand clap. He's been a good sport. Okay. Now, Bill, you're, you're a very smart, very handsome man. I would never do anything to, to embarrass you or make you uncomfortable in front of the church. And now I've just reassured you. Um, just a couple of things I want you to do for me. The first thing, like in, in our mouths, we have saliva, correct? It's, it's not a big deal. We will have it. Um, will, you, will you please just, just swallow what's in your mouth? Yep, no big deal. We do it hundreds of times anyway, don't we? So it's, it's fine. It's nice and easy. No one's, there's no issue there. Here's a perfectly clean cup, not completely clean, never been used before. Would you please, um, I'm going to ask you to spit in this cup. Oh, it's happened. There, there you go. Right, it's there. Right. Shut everyone. It's all in there. It's, it's definitely there. Now, I want you now to drink what's in that cup. 
No, you don't have to do it, so it's fine. <laughs> it's good, just as well, just as well, isn't it? I just grossed out the entire church. No, thank you, give, give people a round of applause. It's been brilliant, thank you, thank you. You need a drink now? I'll, I will hide that, so no one has to look at that. Yeah, put it there. Yeah, by Steve's, Steve's stuff, it's brilliant, perfect. Now, what's interesting about this, is this is called the Dixie Cup Experiment, and, and it's a classic one because it, it highlights something about disgust. The point is, the spit in his mouth and the spit in the cup are no different. Yeah. You know, the, the cup is clean. Uh, when it was in his mouth, no one flinched. When it was out of his mouth, it was a problem. And the problem was it, it crossed the boundary. And so, so, so scientifically, there isn't a problem, but psychologically, there's a massive problem. And, and, and it triggers the emotion of disgust. There's, there's another um, psychological test. The, um, what they did was they, um, they had these people come around and had this very old jumper. And they told them that this jumper used to be owned by Adolf Hitler. Would you like to try it on? And most people said no. Um, but no, there's always one, isn't there? So one or two tried it on. But, they, but after trying it on, they said they felt dirty. Um, they felt uncomfortable. They felt dirty. And again, from a scientific perspective, it, it, well, it's just a jumper. It's just a jumper. It's just, it's just wool or something. It's just, just cotton. It's, it's no big deal. But psychologically, there's a problem because Adolf Hitler owned it. And, and what's interesting, and here's the difference between the two examples, is in the first example, the contaminated object was obviously the saliva. In the second example, the contaminated object was the person. So people can be contaminated psychologically in our hearts and in our minds. And in both cases, the response is, I want to be away. I don't want you too close to me. I don't want you to be touched by you. I don't want you, I want you into my life because you're contaminated. And, and there are triggers that cause that. There's different triggers. That they, it could be hygiene. Maybe you're a hygiene freak and you struggle when people smell or people are dirty. Or it, or it could be a racial thing. It could be a disability thing. It could be a lifestyle thing. You know, someone's, perhaps someone's a gypsy. You struggle with that. Um, perhaps, you know, you know, how they live, who they, who they sleep with, who they, who they marry, who they, if, how they raise their children, how they don't raise their children. It could be a whole bunch of things. We all have our triggers, and they trigger things called disgust. That's the first emotion. The second emotion is what many psychologists say is probably the main cause for divorce. And it's not anger, believe it or not. Anger, you know, it's, you know, anger perhaps doesn't help, but you can be angry with someone you love, okay? It doesn't mean you're going to get divorced just because you're angry with them. Um, the, the emotion I'm thinking about is contempt. Contempt is like a cousin to disgust for two reasons. First, there is a sharp anger um, towards the other person, but there's also a sense of superiority. You look down on the other person. Um, I remember not long ago, I was praying into eldership. So I was praying into eldership, and then a couple of weeks later, I'm on the train to Barber College. Wow. You, know, you can't get much holier than that. You've just been praying to eldership, and you go into Barber College. I'm on the train, then the train gets delayed, and there was this, um, these, these teenagers, and they was, was kind of acting up, and they were being, there was this lady there, and they were just being a bit, just a bit mean to her for no reason whatsoever. And I remember feeling quite annoyed by this, and I, I, I picked up my phone, this very phone, and I typed something in Facebook and said, I'm stuck on this train with a bunch of Neanderthals. Yeah? I... They're not even human anymore. They're just, they're just 
primitive man, you know, the, 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 the idiots, the, the fools, the, 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 the stupid. And um, I called them a bunch of Neanderthals. And I think Rachel then texted me <laughs> to say, eh, maybe, maybe, maybe not, perhaps not the best way to respond in that situation. Just been prayed into eldership, and now on the, on the, bus, on the train to Bible College, and this is how you respond. Um, but she was right. The point is, I felt contempt. I, I, I generally looked at the situation, and I, and I dehumanized them. I took away, in my mind, I dehumanized them. I didn't see them as an equal. And that's, and that's what's so toxic about contempt, which is why it destroys relationships. And both disgust and contempt, they fortify these walls in our hearts, and they contract these walls and contract our circle of appreciation, which makes it difficult for us to show hospitality. I mean, it's great, Chris, as part of the, um, the announcement, you talked about showing hospitality to, to those that came to, to yesterday's evening, um, meeting about Italy, and we talked about, you know, messy Christmas, the, the importance of hospitality. But, but it's an intentional thing, because this is a heart issue. This is the point. This is why it matters to God so much. It's a heart issue. And we need to deal with these, 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 these things that fortify these walls. So the question is, is you know, what, what's the answer? How do you deal with this? How do you deal with these, these, these things that fortify these walls? Well, there's four simple steps. The first is, um, it comes from, from, the, from the passage we just, we just read. And it's called recognizing Jesus in the stranger. You know, in, in the passage of the word, Jesus identified himself with the other. He identifies himself with the person outside of the moral circle, with the stranger, with the naked, with those in prison. I'm, I'm with those guys. Which is, which is interesting, because normally when we think about um, whether, it's, whether it's evangelism or even caring for the poor, we, we normally think it's we bringing Jesus. We've got Jesus, and we're bringing them, bringing Jesus to the other guys. But Jesus says, actually, you've got it backwards. I'm with the other guys. You want to meet Jesus, you've got to go and meet them. Yeah. You want to hang with Jesus, you've got to get used to, you know, you've got to learn to expand your, your, your moral circle. You've got to learn to expand your circle of appreciation. That, that's, you know, that's just how the ball bounces in the kingdom of God. That's just how the cookie crumbles within the kingdom of God. And so we need to change the way we look at people. You know, recognize actually in this, sort of, this smelly homeless person, this is what, who Jesus identifies with. And so when I'm, when I'm treating them with respect, I'm actually treating Jesus with respect. That's the way we need to think about it. And that will help. It's like a good antidote to things like disgust and, and contempt. The other one is um, recognize our own vulnerability. Um, in, his, in the book, Richard Beck, he goes to a church and, and have an amazing church service, really good, vibrant, thumping worship, absolutely fantastic. And the, and the church leader said to him, what do you think? What do you think of the church service? And he says, no, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was great. It was, it was amazing. Worship was amazing. Um, it was a bit deathless, though. Well, oh, deathless, that's a funny phrase. What do you mean deathless? Well, it says, well, all the people on the stage were young, you know, they're young, they were vibrant, they were healthy, they were energetic, there was, there was, there was no one, you know, there's no one with any sort of sense of disability. Basically, it was like a glossy magazine. It was like, you know, it's kind of glossy magazines, or, or the, we've got the supermodels in, in size zero. Everything's just perfect. And he, and he felt, and he sort of said, you kind of hidden, but the thing is, the church is not perfect. The church got all sorts of people, but, they've, but on the stage, 
that make sure only the perfect people were visible. And, and he said, the, the problem with that church is what a lot of churches have, which is we're reflecting what's in society, which is we don't like to focus on our weaknesses. We don't like to focus on the fact that, you know, we all have flaws, we all have weaknesses, we all get old, we all get wrinkles. I've got grey hairs. I'm getting grey hairs now. It's getting more noticeable um, this year, particularly. So we're all getting weak. My eyes are getting worse every year. We all, we, we get, but it's, that's part of life, and we don't like to recognise it. And because we pretend that we don't have any weaknesses, when someone is honest enough to say they do have weaknesses, or worse, they're exposed for having weaknesses, what do we do? Well, we throw them under a bus. And however, if we can just be honest and say, actually, we've got weaknesses too. You know, we, we, we're not 10 out of 10 people. None of us are. Um, you know, we might be a 6 out of 10. Um, and maybe a 7 out of 10 on a, on a good day, but, but sometimes a 4 out of 10 on a bad day. Um, then actually, when we see people with their flaws, even when they've been exposed to their flaws, um, instead of being quick to throw them under a bus, we might have other emotions such as empathy and compassion. doesn't mean there's not consequences, but it does mean we don't throw them under a bus. Thirdly, is this notion of triggers. Um, I mentioned we all got triggers, lots of different triggers. Um, I, I remember, to be honest, I've I got, I got, I got a confession to make. I've known about triggers for years, and I've, at times, in the past, um, have played on people's triggers for my own personal gain. Let me explain what happened. I'm on the train. It's, been, it's a bit late. I've got a big bag. Um, I, I kind of like to have a space next to me free. Um, and, and the train's a bit busy. And, and, so, and so what I've done, I've done this before. I've kind of done this. I kind of went... And, and I played the, the trigger. I'm, I, I act like a tough black guy and, in the hope that people would think, oh, crikey, I want to sit next to him. He, he might mug me or something. And, and, it, and it works. It, the amount of times I've got a spare seat, and I put my back... And it's so t- and this is nonsense God has to put up with. Um, but God gets the, the last laugh. Because what happened once... Um, I'm on the train, I'm, I'm doing my trigger trick. Again, and I must have hoods up. I'm doing my trigger trick. And, and this lady comes up, and she, um, she, to be fair, she looks like the kind of classic stereotype lady who might be frightened of a guy looking like me. And, um, and she looks at me, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah this is going to work. Um, but then she walks up, she sits right there next to me. And I was like, huh? That's not, that's not meant to happen. But, but then I, I turned... And looked back at her and I thought, well played. <laughs> well played. She didn't let the trigger you know, affect her. You know, she, the trigger probably was there, but she didn't let it dictate how she behaved. And so I thought, no, well played. You, know, you don't let triggers dictate your behavior. You know? We can't control if the, the triggers are there. They, you know, they probably are there. The different triggers for each person, they probably are there, but we can choose how we respond to them. So be mindful of your triggers. Yeah, think about them. Be mindful and respond. Choose to respond appropriately. Don't just react. And the last one simply is, is what's known as the little way. Um, Saint Therese um, had this, this practice called the little way, which is simply the fact that we, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Normally, when we talk about hospitality, people get scared because they think they have to do a massive exercise or a massive program. 
And they're like, well, I'm, I'm, I've got a family, I've got a job, it's just that's too big for me, it's too complicated, I, I can't do it, it's, I can't, I would love to. I would love to, but I can't. And what Teresa says, well, actually, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It could be the mundane, it could be the day-to-day, it could be saying like, hi to your neighbour, it could literally just say hi, just say hi. You don't have to speak to them, just say hi. Smile, you know, don't be a jerk for once, just, for, you know, just be nice, just be nice. Don't have, to, don't have to do anything that gets you on the television or anything that's going to make you famous. You can just be nice and take one day at a time and look at the small opportunities and make the most of them. That's me. I'm done. Give a hand for Rachel as she comes up. <clears throat> okay. Uh, just want to thank Richard for, for doing that bit, and I'm really glad that he's um, kind of kind of laid the groundwork with a bit of the theology and stuff there, because that's really his strength. It's not really mine. Um, but when we're talking about um, like mercy, showing mercy, showing justice, showing love, um, I thought, what perfect opportunity then for me to come up here and talk about from something from my strength and something that I'm really passionate about. So today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about human physiology. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not quite sure what I'm going to go with this, are you? But did you know that we are chemically wired to live within loving communities? Yes. Uh, it's just amazing. If you ever need any proof that there is a creator God, just look at that. So we are chemically wired to live within loving communities. And actually, we max out chemically. We get being chemically imbalanced if those communities exceed about 150 people. So let me explain a little bit about this to you. So Richard's talked a lot about our emotions, uh, the emotions in psychology today. Um, and the, the reason that um, that's important is the chemicals um, we release in our body, they drive us to do certain behaviours, to repeat things that are good and that are good for our survival, for, um, for us as people, and they give us our emotions and help us to feel that. I mean, we all know we shouldn't go to the supermarket when you're hungry. No. You know that? Because what you do is you get your trolley and all that food is going in the trolley. You, in fact, one trolley's not enough. You've got to go back and you've got to get another trolley because you just have to keep doing it. And the reason we do that is we've got a couple of chemicals called endorphins and dopamine um, that were driving us when we had to look for food um, or when we had to grow our own food and didn't live in the, the abundance we live in now to driving us to go and go out and do that, repeat that behaviour to get the food, to build the shelter, to do the things that we needed. Um, but So let's just explain what those are. So the, the, dope, um, the endorphins, if you are one of these people who put your trainers on and you like to go for a little bit of a run, um, that feeling you get at the end of that run, that's the endorphins, that high, it's that runner's high, it masks the pain and it makes you drive on and gets that sort of endurance to go on. And dopamine, well, dopamine, you get ticked off when you finish something on your to-do list. That's that feeling of satisfaction when you've gone, ah, yeah, I've done that, or I found something that I'm looking for. It's um, that feeling that keeps us focused on a task, keeps us wanting to repeat it. But now we live in a time of abundance. Those feelings can drive us in different ways and help us in different things but they can also help us negatively. We can pick ourselves up a nice little dopamine addiction. Dopamine's released when we drink, when we smoke, when we gamble. It's released when we constantly check our phone to see who's liked our posts. 
It's released when we do that little bit of clicktivism, um, where you have a, a petition that someone's shared, and you think, oh, yeah, I'm really passionate about that too, and I'll click on that cause. Oh, and there's another cause that I like, and I'll click on that, and you feel like you're doing something good because you've got that little feeling of the dopamine. And actually, when we do something good, it's really good to get the approval of others, isn't it? It's great when someone notices what we've done and someone recognises what we've done and gives us that pat on the back. It's the reason why we have graduation ceremonies. It's the reason why we celebrate our successes, because all of those things are important. So all those three aspects are important when we're looking at um, doing hospitality, showing love, building communities, and doing mercy. But if we stop there, we're actually doing it for the wrong reasons. We're doing it for how it feels for us, and getting that satisfaction for ourselves, or how it feels when someone else sees what we've done, in order to go on and to build communities, to build love and develop things, we actually need a fourth chemical. And that fourth chemical is probably everyone's favorite chemical. This chemical is called oxytocin, and it's that feeling of friendship. It's that feeling of love. It's that feeling of deep trust. It's that feeling we get when someone, instead of just pointing us in the right direction when we ask for directions, they, they go with us and they take us to that place and show us where it is. It's that feeling you get when you're struggling with um, a toddler and a baby and you're really struggling with it all and someone comes over to you and helps you and actually physically comes in and helps with that and gives you, you know, uh, that reassurance that you're doing the right thing and that you're sort of getting on well. And it, it's, uh, oxytocin is that feeling that um, we get when we hold hands. It's that feeling we get when we shake hands. It's that feeling we get when we love. It's, it's released through touch. It's why mothers are encouraged to hold newborn babies to their chest. Um, it develops bonds between us. Unlike dopamine, dopamine we need to keep repeating stuff again and again. You have to keep doing those things in order to get that hit, to get that feeling. With oxytocin, it's much more stable. It's uh, long-lasting, and um, we build upon it. Um, oxytocin's also got another thing that it does. So it not only releases in the person who is um, doing the act, so um, we can re it releases in the person who's receiving. It's a, a mutual thing. So if you've helped someone um, to the point where, you know, in a very personal way, they have oxytocin released, and you have oxytocin released as well. It, it just develops those bonds between us. And the reason I'm talking about this is because Jesus understood this. So um, a while back, if you've been around the church for a while, um, if you haven't listened back on the podcast, we went through all the miracles of Jesus. We looked at all the different healing miracles that he did. And a bit of a spoiler alert, Jesus is God, right? Yeah, so Jesus could have sat in his living room with his feet up and just said a word, and he could have healed every disease, every sickness, every illness in the world. But Jesus knew that wasn't what we needed. It wasn't the absence of pain. It wasn't the absence of suffering. It wasn't um, being free from the physical symptoms. He knew what we needed was something more, which is why so many times, time and again, in the healing miracles, they're one-to-one, -one, there eye contact involved, there's touch involved, and it's personal. It gets a transformation happening between 
the person who is being healed in Jesus. That act of mercy, that act of love is happening in there. And Jesus is, um, he does more than that as well. Richard talked a little bit about how he um, associated with the, the people who were not sort of like us. There were people who were on the outside, the people who had the issues. Jesus, he went around and he rehumanized the dehumanized. So he integrated the segregated and he accepted the rejected. And he did this through spending time with people. We look at how his examples are with the woman who had the bleeding issue. And I encourage you to go back and read these stories in in the Gospels. The woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery. Jesus spends time with these people. And that time is where the mercy starts to flow, where the love starts to flow, where the oxytocin starts to flow. And actually, by doing this as well, Jesus is totally countercultural to the time. At the time, women were kind of the lowest of the low in um, that society. And these women were really low because of the way that they were perceived, the way that they had acted, and the, um, the, what society thought about them. But Jesus spent time with those women and created a, a sense that where he transformed their lives. He didn't um, just leave them in, in the state where they were at when they met him. And that is what love is. That is what um, acts of mercy is. And that is what this is about, where Jesus is transformational. Um, and love is transformational. And it not only transforms that, but actually when you watch someone be kind to someone else, when you watch someone go out of their way to show love to someone else, you actually get a little bit of a hit of oxytocin too. So you think, oh, you know, if you see someone who's walking down the street and um, their bag flew open and all the stuff fell out on the floor and you see a whole load of people gather around to help pick up all those things and put them, give them back to the man. And you haven't got involved in that, but you've seen that and you think, oh, that's really nice. Isn't that lovely? And that actually encourages you to go on and do that. That is how our society is meant to be. That is God's design for our society. It's a society that loves like that. But there is a problem. Um, so over the past 100 years or so, um, we've moved to much more of a disposable culture. We've got disposable coffee cups, single-use plastic. We've got mountains of food waste. And it's been pretty hard to avoid all of that in the in newspapers over the last few years. And however, while I believe that as Christians that we are called to tend God's creation, we are called to be countercultural and make a difference there, I think that the, the big thing, the big tragedy of the last 100 years goes largely underreported, and that is the disposable nature of human beings. As people in our society, in our culture, as we look out of this building outside, that um, there is a real disposable nature to human life these days. Um, Job security is uh, uh, not there in most places of work. We put profit above people. Um, Relationships are transient. We have high divorce rates. Families are replaceable. Um, People are moving away from families and from uh, places where they have roots down. They're moving to go to places, and there's loneliness is rife within our communities. Um, and all of this thing, all of these sorts of things, where unemployment and all of these sorts of troubles and issues that go within people's lives releases a, another chemical that can be really unhelpful. Now, that chemical is called cortisol. Now, cortisol is 
a really important chemical because it does get you that fight or flight. So it gets us out of danger. Um, but cortisol is only meant to be in our bodies for a short period of time. And when we have it for a long period of time, caused by some of those issues that I've described, um, it causes stress and it causes anxiety. But worse than that, cortisol actually stops us from releasing oxytocin. So if you are living in a highly stressful situation, if you have a lot of anxiety um, in your life, um, you can find it very difficult to move beyond the, the first sort of three chemicals I talked about into a chemical where you're actually loving the people around you and being in that situation. So what does this actually mean for us when we're looking at mercy? What does this actually mean when we're looking at these sorts of things? Well, if we are to truly love Crawley, and I think that's really what we want to be doing, when we talk about mercy, when we talk about evangelism, when we talk about any of the things that we've talked about within the Healthy Church series, we are talking about loving Crawley. And when we want to talk about that, we need to recognise that um, what's important is to um, three things within that. And the first is, in order to be able to show that love, to get that oxytocin flowing, um, to our community is actually we need to start it in here. We need to build a community within the church where um, we are loving one another, we are um, being um, family to one another. Um, it's no accident that centuries before we understood these chemicals and what effects they have on our body that the Bible is actually full of all the things that we need to do in order to love one another. And we went through those a while ago as well, so do go back and do a bit of a podcast binge and <laughs> listen to those. But we know what we need to do. We need to forgive one another. We need to be at peace with one another. We need to serve one another. We need to love one another. We need to get that oxytocin flowing because we need to greet one another with a holy kiss. We need to wash one another's feet. We need to love one another. We need to love one another. We need to love one another. So that, that is really where um, the very first thing we've got to do. If we want to be a church that is showing mercy and showing love to people, that's where we've got to start. I say start because we're actually not called just to live in some hippie convent, high oxytocin flowing <laughs> situation, um, as nice as that might be. But actually, we do need those other chemicals because we do need to start going and... Um, doing the, the loving out of the church, out of this social circle, out of this area too. And um, in order to do that, what you really need to do is you really need to know your communities. We can't love anybody if we don't know them. We can, we've talked about the 100,000 who are in Crawley quite a lot within the church. Um, but do you remember I told about that chemical max out of 150 people? <laughs> so when we talk about the 100,000... Um, actually, that gets you chemically flowing in one of two ways. It either gets you chemically flowing in the fact that you just will start ticking things off on your dopamine list and getting yourself a little bit, yeah, I'm all right, look at me, I'm doing okay because I'm doing something, but without really loving people. Or you start to get really quite anxious about where do I fit within that? There's so many people, where, where's my role? And so your cortisol levels go up. So when we actually start talking about the 100,000, we can't stick with thinking just about the 100,000. We need to get to know our communities. Yeah. We need to know the people around us. We need to know your neighbours. Yeah. You need to know the people at work. You need to know where the issues are in the town. What are the things? And coming back to that, what have you got in your hands? 
things that we've been talking about in the Healthy Church series. What are the things that you can do to communities within our, um, in our town to reach out and to love people? You'll notice I've um, popped up a few of uh, the bunting around the place today. Um, a bit of a... <laughs> bit of craftivism this morning, um, which um, these were sown by various people within the church at various times um, a few years ago now. Um, and I do encourage you to come and do that because we haven't relied on here and I haven't given you a lot of verses. But over here, you've got lots of Bible verses that I want you to come and take your time and read because if it flashes up on the screen, you just see it for a bit. But I want you to come and have a look at some of these at the end of the day. And they've got impetus burst in there things about Crawley, things about our nation, um, and some various sort of things to, just to inspire you to actually want to help and want to love and want to show mercy. And showing that Father's heart that we've talked about this morning, we've talked a lot about that Father's heart, and that's really what mercy is. Mercy is about showing that Father's heart, and to do that we need to know our town. And um, the final thing that we just need to do is we just need to remember how... Um, anything that we do, whether we do it corporately as a church or individually by ourselves um, through our own lives, is that it needs to be transformational. We never love someone just to keep them where they're at. When we have our own children, when we have the babies, it's wonderful. You know, you sit there with the babies on your chest and just cuddling them in and just feeling that little snuggle and feeling that little breathe. It's just wonderful. And that oxytocin is flowing and it's really lovely. But we don't want them to stay like that. We never want the babies to stay like that. We celebrate their successes as they grow up, as they leave home, as hard as that is. Um, and that is where love and acts of mercy need to go. Um, so as we work within the church, we're looking to transform lives and to work individually with people and see differences made to people. Yeah. That's where I was going to stop today. But what I've been aware of when I was preparing this and... Um, and everything was that actually we needed some time to respond to that. The first um, type of response that I want you to do is that I know that as I've talked about chemical imbalance, there'll be people in this room for whom they have a chemical imbalance, either because of um, something that's going on at work or something, um, a mental illness or something along those sorts of lines, high-stress situations in the family, divorce, that sort of thing. So I want you church to, um, to gather around the people who you know might be feeling like that. Now, what you'll find is that some of those people might want to come forward and that'll be fine, but some of those people might find that hard because they are chemically imbalanced and they are going to be worried about what you'll think of them if you come forward. So if you know someone's like that, I ask you to gather around and pray for that because we know that that's not God's intention for their lives. And the second thing I want you to do is I want the rest of us, us who are able to, to commit ourselves, because actually we do need that dopamine list to say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, because we are a goal-driven um, people. So commit yourselves to doing something, whatever that might be, whether that might be chatting to your neighbour or finding out about something in your community, and pray that through with someone. Verbalise your goal for showing God's love, showing the Father's heart, and showing mercy to our community.